Good morning. This is one of my favorite times of the year. Why? Because it's vacation Bible school time. Or as I like to call it, I get to wear shorts to work week. We just finished vacation Bible school for the New Providence campus, and we're beginning VBS for the new community church in cooperation with our good friends at the Garwood Presbyterian Church. Plus, our mission team that's in Mexico right now will do a VBS for the children who live around their home construction sites. We got VBS going on all over the place, about 500 children all together involved. And what I especially love during VBS is to watch the grown-ups, the adults, the parents and teachers and teen volunteers, because they get into it even more than the kids do. I mean, the adults, they go all out with the room decorations. They're singing the songs the loudest. They laugh the most at all the skits. And when it's all over, they seem sadder than the kids do. I mean, am I right? But VBS is all about the kids. To have the opportunity to pour God's truth into the lives of children is so important. And this summer's theme was about the attributes of God. And to see children learning about God in a way that makes sense to their young brains, that's so great, that God is faithful, that God's invincible, that God's love is unconditional. To put those truths into their brains at such an early age is absolutely crucial because, and every parent knows this, there's a battle going on for the minds and hearts of our children, a real battle. Externally, we face a constant barrage of ideas and images that parents don't want their kids exposed to, a constant deluge of negative images and destructive ideas about body image, about values, about what's good and what's not, ideas that conflict with what we want our children to believe, about healthy relationships, about making good decisions in life. You know, the lure of drugs now starts before kids get into middle school. I mean, it's crazy what young children are exposed to these days. And then you've got corporations marketing to kids in unhealthy ways and TV shows that denigrate the family or traditional values, false beliefs about God and and attacks on people who follow God. I mean, it's unrelenting, a flood of false and sinful ideas that can really overwhelm a child's mind. We want to protect our children, but pretty soon every parent also realizes that not all the bad stuff is on the outside as though our kids are, you know, born 100% pure. You don't have to teach a child to lie. They figure that out all on their own. No, you have to teach a child to tell the truth. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. You have to teach them how to share. You don't have to teach a child how to act on impulse or throw a hissy fit, you know, when they don't get their way. You have to teach them the opposite. Teach them how to control their emotions, how to use their words and not fists, how to delay gratification to accomplish their goals. Parents, unfortunately, the very first thing we give our children is our own sinful nature. I mean, it's, it's our DNA. So they have to be guided, educated, sanctified, and directed towards Christ. There's an internal battle going on, too. The flood of negative, destructive, and sinful ideas and images, all that doesn't stop in childhood. The battleground of the mind goes all the way through adulthood. It never stops. And in today's scripture passage, the Apostle Paul describes how there is both this internal and external battle going on, a battle to control your thoughts. That's our focus for today. As Bible teacher Joyce Myers once said, we have to think about what we think about. So let's hear 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. 
I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, that they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Amen. Here the Apostle Paul takes a dramatic kind of 90 degree turn from his earlier tone in the rest of this book. Up till this point he's been appealing to the Christians in ancient Corinth based on his deep affection and the, and the relationship they developed during his previous visits. But this has been a troubled church that has, uh, has allowed a lot of crazy stuff to happen. The Christian believers in Corinth came out of a very pagan world, a world of religious cults and sexual promiscuity and exploitation. It was a hard place to be a follower of Jesus. No one had any background in the God of the Bible. No one had roots in the Jewish scriptures. So this idea of a loving God who could be known through the grace of Christ was, was absolutely new idea for them that sins could be forgiven and that life could be transformed. This, this really was good news to them. But the Corinthian church was still a collection of broken and confused people. They were not super saints. They didn't instantly change into angels. They didn't just snap their fingers and figure out completely how to live life Christ's way. They struggled with following Christ. They were trying. They were trying to be true to Jesus, but they carried a lot of baggage, and some of them then were easy prey for false teachers or fell victim to the power-hungry folks who had infected the church. So after making a more gentle appeal to the Corinthians to come to their senses and get back right on track, Paul now, and really for the rest of the letter, sort of takes the gloves off and goes bare knuckles on them. He begins to pummel them a bit because many folks were not taking him seriously. Here Paul talks about how all the problems that they are facing, both in their personal lives and in their church, all these problems stem from one central issue, the thoughts that they allow in their brains, the things that they believe to be true that aren't true, the thoughts that are leading them to emotionally destructive and sinful behavior. The real issue is that there's an invisible battle going on all around them all the time. And the focal point of that battle is their thought life. Folks, we face the same battle today. Christian psychologist Dr. Archibald Hart, who we once here, had here as a conference speaker, uh, writes this in his book, The Habits of the Mind, that God does not abandon us to our own devices, but he offers us a renewing of the mind in return for our surrender to him. Our thoughts are the essential ingredient for living, for they underlie all our actions and feelings. If we want to improve our circumstances and emotions, we must be willing first to improve our thoughts. Folks, we can't overstate the importance of our thought life. The mind is the main battlefield for Christ. Scripture says this over and over again. We need to renew our minds, surrender our thought life to Christ. That's where we make our decisions. That's where we wrestle with our emotions. That's where we choose whether to follow Christ or not. Romans 8.5 describes the battle this way. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit 
set their minds on what the Spirit desires. Our minds, either set on our human impulses or set on the things of God's Spirit. So many of our problems are rooted in our thinking patterns. What we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, what we believe about the world, what we really believe about God. We think in ways that are contrary to God's truth, ways that are irrational and sometimes even destructive. And our actions are a direct result of our thoughts and beliefs. If we have negative faults or confused or sinful thoughts, we're going to have a similar experience in life. Your mindset makes all the difference, and learning to take control of your own thoughts is crucial for living a satisfying life and being an effective follower of Jesus Christ. So it's very important that we think about what we are thinking about. Paul writes in verse 5, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought captive to Christ. That means throughout the day. We have to recognize what is going on in our thought life. Where are our thoughts coming from and, and where are our thoughts leading us? Do our thoughts come from the truth that God reveals or from our own ideas, our own deep needs or our own wants? Do our thoughts come from the influences of the world around us? You know, what's amazing to me is that we live in a time when people are almost obsessed with knowing where their food comes from. Very concerned about, you know, what's in the food they're eating. There, there's a growing awareness about the dangers of ingesting chemicals and additives that are put into food or artificial hormones used to grow food that, you know, might actually be toxic to us. So people do the research. They read the food labels because they don't want to take anything into their bodies that might be harmful later on. And I'm all for that. Keep your body healthy. But what amazes me is that many of these same people don't have any filters at all for what they allow into their minds. Have no barriers at all. Do not guard their minds at all. They have no qualms about stuffing their minds with trash from what they watch on HBO or Showtime, from what they consider to be entertainment. People who are very concerned about polluting their bodies, but their minds are wide open to all the pollution this world has to offer. And then they wonder why life seems so hard, so crazy, so confused. It's garbage in, garbage out. If you put garbage in your brain, it will leach into your attitudes, your actions, and your emotions. What we think about is a deeply spiritual issue because it lies at the heart of our rebellion against God. The main problem is that so many of the things people believe are simply not true. So many of the things that people believe about Christ are simply not true. And if we call into question the truths of God, then where will we get our beliefs? The only other alternative is that people, and I'm talking about Christian people, the only other alternative is that folks will take on the belief system of the world, the world that does not reflect the nature or the character of God. Now, this is a very old story. In fact, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Look back in Genesis 3, it describes the temptation of Eve by Satan, the evil one, the archangel who rebelled against God and who was then expelled from heaven. Satan comes to Eve in the form of a serpent, and God had created this paradise called Eden for Adam and Eve to enjoy, to have children, to grow a family, grow a culture. God gave them free reign over it all with only one stipulation. There was a tree in the garden 
called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis 2.16, God said, From any tree of the garden you may eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. That was their only prohibition. Everything else was theirs to enjoy. But the story continues in Genesis chapter 3 where it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the true that is tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and they made coverings for themselves. Do you hear what happened there? The serpent called into question the truth of what God had said. Did God really say? He just planted a little seed of doubt. Just a, just a little bit of doubt. That's all it took. Eve lost the battle in her mind first. And then that was quickly followed by her actions. And Adam did the same. The serpent got Eve to believe a lie. You won't really die. You can get away with it. God won't follow through on his promise. He called into question the truth of God. All of Satan's temptations, all of the strongholds of the evil one that he has over people, all the things that pull people away from God, they all have one thing in common. At some point, people believe a lie. They act on that false belief. Whether it's an addiction to drugs or alcohol or an addiction to gossip, all evil is rooted in some kind of a lie that I can get away with it. It's not that bad. I was, I was only trying to help. I was misunderstood. My motives were pure. I, I can handle it. I deserve it. Follow any sin, any problem. If you follow that thread long enough, at the root you'll discover some kind of lie. All of evil is rooted in a lie. Jesus said so in John 8.44 where he said, Satan, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. The father of lies, that's the evil one, and he's very good at what he does. He bombards our minds every day with cleverly disguised lies, and, and we need to be aware of that. His first lie was to Eve. You know, He called into question what God said to be true, and that has been his main operating principle ever since. Pick any issue you want to today where Christians are confused. You follow that thread long enough and you'll find at the root of it people who are believing something that is a lie. The evil one gets people to question the veracity of God's truth, to let other ideas kind of into their cranium and defeats them by infecting their thoughts. You see, it doesn't really matter if you believe the Genesis story to be a literal one as I do or a figurative morality story. The main point is the same, that there is a battle going on for your mind, and the evil we allow in our brains is all based on some kind of a lie. Psychologist M. Scott Peck was trying to develop a psychology of evil, not from a religious point of view, but just trying to understand what causes people to act in such evil ways to each other. 
through his counseling practice, he had encountered so many broken families and failed relationships, people who treated each other just horribly, and people who were scarred emotionally by all their previous experiences. And he kept trying to understand where did all this dysfunction come from? And he came to this conclusion, evil comes from the lies that people believe. From a psychological point of view, human evil comes from people who believe and act upon thoughts and ideas that are simply not true. In fact, he entitled his book, The People of the Lie. So how's the battle going for your thoughts? Do you ever think about what you're thinking about? Do you know if your thoughts and ideas and beliefs are based on the truth of God's word and the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Or, or do your thoughts come from another source? What are you putting into your brain? Are there lies that you're believing that are maybe holding you back and crippling your joy or damaging your relationships? Lies about how you think about yourself. You know, I'm stupid, I'm clumsy, I'm too fat, too skinny, too tall, too short. I, I can't, I, I can't change. A lot of people believe lies about themselves and how they're made. Believe lies about who they are inside. And one practical thing I'd like you to do this week is to examine your self-talk. How do you talk to yourself about yourself? That internal dialogue that goes on inside your brain. See if you can catch yourself when you're saying negative things about yourself. What lies are you believing about you? And how do those lies affect your actions and your emotions? How would your life and your moods be better or different if you change the way you think about yourself? Think about what you're thinking about this week. We also believe lies in how we think about the world around us. I'm sure you know that old illustration about the frog in the kettle, but it's a good one. If you're wanting frog legs for dinner and you drop a frog in boiling water, he's going to jump right out. But if you put the frog in a pot of cold water and then little by little turn up the heat so that the water gets warmer, the frog adjusts, gets acclimated. The frog's swimming around like he's in a jacuzzi. But finally, by the time the water's boiling, he's numb to it, and it's too late. He's cooked. The parable of the frog in the kettle is about how we gradually grow accustomed to attitudes and beliefs in our culture that are dangerous. People don't change overnight. Cultures and beliefs don't change overnight. We slowly wade in. We start at the shallow end of the pool, and slowly we find ourselves getting into deeper and deeper water. But it is so slow that we hardly realize it. And finally, we are in over our heads, and it may be too late. That's what's happening in our culture right now. Things that were scandalous or unmentionable 30 years ago are now common topics on supposedly family sitcoms. Cultural attitudes have been sh slowly shifting, and a lot of Christians have just accommodated themselves to the belief system of the world. It's easier just to go along to get along. Christians who no longer get their ideas about life, about morality, about what's good and what's bad, they no longer get that from God's word. They believe the lie that maybe the Bible isn't relevant, it isn't up to date. The lie that, you know, we know God's mind better than the people who walked with Jesus or who wrote the New Testament. Folks, that's the greatest danger facing the church today. Not pressure from the outside, but Christians who do not have the mind of Christ. And the only antidote is to fill your mind with the word of God every day. Jesus said, John 8, 31, If you hold to my teachings, you're truly my disciple. And then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We must get the knowledge of God's truth in us regularly to renew our minds with his word. 
That's what will tear down the strongholds that rise up against God. It's the Word of God. That was the weapon Jesus used to defeat Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness. Go back and read Luke chapter 4. Each time Satan lied to him, how did Jesus respond? He said, it is written. It is written. And then he would quote from the Old Testament Scripture. The only antidote that will tear down the strongholds of this world in the battle for the mind is for you to fill your mind with the good things of God, starting with God's Word. The Scriptures reveal Jesus to us on every page. They guide us into His path for living and His priorities for all of life. And as we read, as we meditate on, as we study the Scripture, we find that Jesus' way of thinking increasingly becomes our own. When we saturate your mind with the Word, His worldview, your, your mind will begin to have the mind of Christ. We begin thinking with the mind of Christ rather than our own. We all need to face up to the fact that there is a real battle going on for your mind. And for some, your life has been in a state of chaos because for years and years you've, been th- you've, you've had wrong thinking. It's so important to come to grips with the fact that life will not get straightened out until your mind does, until your thoughts come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Our thoughts affect our attitudes and moods and actions. Our thoughts come before our words. That's why it's so important to choose godly thoughts, life-generating thoughts. And you do choose. You can make a conscious choice of what your mind will focus on, of what you let into your brain. So pray and ask the Holy Spirit to convict you each time you start to go negative in your thinking. Each time your mind begins to believe one of Satan's lies. Pray that God would reawaken your conscience. Think about what you're thinking about. Take responsibility for your thoughts. And when you find your mind is in a real mess, you need to memorize scriptures like Philippians 4.8. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. That's God's promise to you when you fill your thoughts with his word. His peace and his power will be yours. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you can help us win the battle our thoughts. But Lord, help us to be honest and to think about what it is we're thinking about. Where those thoughts came from, do they come from your Holy Spirit, or do they come from some other source? Help us to be at least aware of what's going on in our heads so that we can begin to turn our thought life over to you and fill our minds so that we might have the mind of Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.